The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Chances are most of us have heard this psalm before. And I wouldn't even be surprised if there were some who have it memorized or parts of it memorized and go back to it time and time again. It's arguably one of the most popular passages in Scripture. Psalm 23 has brought comfort to those facing death or going through trials. And there's something about it that resonates with our hearts just by hearing it read or recited. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon called it the pearl of the Psalms. And my goal this morning is to have us look at this psalm from what might be a different lens than you've considered before. Over the past few weeks, if you've been tracking with us, we've been in a new series for the summer titled Summer in the Psalms, Learning to Pray. And our hope in this series is to see how the Psalms can help us pray in various ways and through various seasons of life. Using the Psalms in this way has been a practice of my life for many years now. Usually at least two or three times a year, I'll take an entire month to study and meditate on all the Psalms using a method that has you read five Psalms a day so that you get through the entire book of Psalms at the end of the month. And the reason I keep going back to this practice is because time and time again, I find that it shapes and transforms my prayer life in many ways. Over the years, it has provided me with words to pray when I didn't have them. It's led me to pray in ways that I may not have thought of praying before. And I've already seen this series have a similar effect just over two weeks. One thing that stood out to me, and I hope it has to you as well, as we're considering how the Psalms inform our prayers, is how we should continually pray in such a way that our requests to God are interwoven with theology. That when we pray, we move in and out of talking to God and proclaiming truth about God to ourselves. We saw this in Psalm 13 two weeks ago and again in Psalm 42 last week. You see, in prayer and in praise, the Psalms show us that we should both talk to God and about God to ourselves. And there's value in that. And we're going to see that again in Psalm 23 this week, where we are looking to learn how to pray to strengthen our faith. Faith is the foundation of the Christian life. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. You might say that the Christian life begins and ends with faith. So this is a vital way for us to learn how to pray, for our faith to be strengthened. But before we look at how to pray to strengthen our faith, we must understand a truth that I think is revealed through the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 23. So if you haven't turned there already, notice with me first how we are shown that all prayer must begin with saving faith. I'm not sure we dwell on this enough when we're thinking about wanting to learn how to pray better, but the reality is we can't even begin to pray if we lack saving faith. In order for us to pray for things like our faith to be strengthened or when we're in discouragement or when we're spiritually dry, we must have our faith placed firmly in God as the one who will satisfy and as the one who provides everything we need. Notice how David opens up in verse 1, and I want you to think with me about all that he is saying. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, the image is clear. God is a shepherd to him. This is a beautiful confession from David of confidence that God leads, guides, protects, and cares for him as a shepherd would his sheep. And the rest of this psalm is going to flesh that out. It's going to help us understand what he means by that. But I want you to notice another side of this confession. David confesses that he is like a sheep. Now, this may not fully land on you yet, but this is really a profoundly humble confession when we think about it. Because sheep are notoriously helpless animals. The Nelson Bible Dictionary notes that sheep are curious, but dumb. They're often unable to find their way home, even if the sheepfold is within sight. And often they would wander into a briar patch or fall over a cliff in the rugged Palestinian hills. If you're in the MBZ home group, you might have seen a video surfacing around. I couldn't get it on the screen. But it's this video of a sheep stuck in a ditch. And the shepherd is pulling the sheep out of the ditch. And as he does, the sheep gets out and then frolics, frolics, and then dives right back into the ditch. I mean, two seconds that sheep was out of the ditch. That is the picture of a sheep. Sheep are helpless, and because of that, they fully rely on their shepherd for everything they need. And because of that, they become a model of submissiveness to us throughout the Bible. And David here is confessing a recognition of his own need for a shepherd. You see, church, this is where faith in God always begins. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We must start with a realization that we are truly as helpless as sheep and in need of a shepherd. And only then can we understand the great proclamation of Jesus in John 10, 11 and 14, 15, where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Ah, what 
What an amazing statement that truly is. The Son of God, the King Eternal, humbled himself by becoming a shepherd in the first place and walking among his sheep, caring for them. And as that humble shepherd dwelling among the sheep that were foolish, he laid down his life for us. Let me ask you, have the eyes of your heart been opened to the glory of Christ in this way? Have you heard of him suffering and dying on the cross for your sin? And have you realized that the second half of Isaiah 53, 6 is true? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, saving faith starts with understanding all of this. And then we repent of our foolishness as sheep and we turn to Christ for forgiveness, for salvation and for satisfaction for our souls. And it is through that trust that we begin to freely submit ourselves as sheep to this great shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And I start with this because if it is not true of you, the rest of this psalm will make very little sense. If this is not true of you and you are not beginning with saving faith in Jesus Christ, your prayers for faith to be strengthened will ultimately fall flat. So before we even start walking through this psalm, let me ask you, as pointedly as I can, have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls? Because all prayer must begin with saving faith. That's where we start. That's what we cling to. And with that in mind, let's now consider how this psalm helps us to learn how to pray to strengthen our faith. First, I think what we see is that we should pray with confidence in God's loving care. Four simple words can communicate so much truth. Look at the end of verse 1. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now the translation here may not communicate the true sentiment of what David is saying. You see, the word for want doesn't mean desire as much as it means lack. So David is not saying, I shall not desire for anything. He's saying, I shall not lack anything. In this statement, he is expressing complete confidence that he will always have what he needs as he follows the shepherd. And we'll continue to see what this means for David. But I think even this might need to be more thoughtfully considered by us. If we really stop to think about it, there are times in life where we experience some kind of lack as we follow Jesus. Jesus said to take up your cross and follow him. There's a lack of comfort in that at times. Jesus also promised persecution, and he said there would be division in families on account of him. Paul, in Philippians 4.12, spoke of facing hunger and need. And in 2 Corinthians 8.2, the Macedonian believers, we are told, were in extreme, in extreme poverty while receiving the grace of God. You see, there may be times in our lives 
as we follow Jesus that we lack things. Food, money, friendship, family, comfort. But even though that happens, it does not deny the truth that David speaks of here. And it should not shake our confidence in it. Because what we know to be true is that we will never lack for anything that the shepherd deems is good for us. I want to say that again. We will never lack for anything that the shepherd deems is good for us. Psalm 8411 says, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So when you pray to strengthen your faith, pray with a confidence in God's love and care. Maybe along these lines. I know that God never withholds any good thing from his children. He graciously gives us his spirit and all good things if we ask. Father, I know that you care and love for me because of Christ. And I am confident that I can trust in your loving hand to supply my every need. Pray with confidence in God's loving care. Next, what we see is that we should pray with an understanding of God's faithful guidance. Verses 2 through 3 in this psalm center on four statements of what the Lord does as our shepherd to reveal why we shall not want. Start in verse 2 and follow with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did you notice all the ways God guides us? He makes, he leads, he restores, he leads. In verse 2, we see he makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. And the poetry is such that these are communicating a similar refrain. The term for green pastures signifies tender grass that is easy for the sheep to eat and soft for lying down in. The idea is that the sheep have been fed and are satisfied. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller writes about how sheep really won't lie down until certain conditions are met for them. He says they won't lie down if they are afraid of anything. He won't, they won't lie down if there is friction among the sheep. They won't lie down if there's flies or parasites that are troubling them or if they are anxious about food or hungry in any way. Rest, he says, comes after the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. And the waters we see are quiet, calm, gentle flowing streams that set our hearts at peace. See, there are times in life that we are fat and happy, so to speak, resting in calmness after all of our needs have been met. Where God deals with all the things that are making us restless and he brings us to places of perfect peace. Have you experienced those before? I'm sure you have. In verse 3, though, then, the attention is turned to God's concern for our soul's satisfaction and holiness. See, he's not just concerned with material things. He's concerned with spiritual things. 
When David speaks of restoring his soul, he speaks of reviving his spirit when exhausted. And he describes the path that God is guiding us down as paths of righteousness, which are designed to produce holiness and set us apart. Charles Spurgeon says, When the soul grows sorrowful, he, God, revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. And then we are given insight into why the Lord cares for us in these ways at the end of verse 3. So you notice what it says. It says, it is for his name's sake. We talk about this often at Grace, and it's something we want us to understand as a people. God is zealous for his own glory. And he is working in and through our lives to bring glory to his name. And church, let me tell you, that is a beautifully comforting thing because it means that his faithfulness is not at all dependent on me. It means that even when I'm stubborn and even when I wander off the path and dive right back into that ditch, he remains faithful because of his namesake. That's what's at stake, his glory. And he will never, never let his glory go. It's a beautiful, beautiful, comforting thing of God's faithful guidance. Now, notice how else David sees God's faithful guidance, or rather where else he sees it. Look at verse 4, the beginning. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If I was to say there was one most important truth for you to see, it might be this one right here. Because I think sometimes we can be tempted to think that the only times we walk through difficult seasons is if we are in sin or if we are somehow not following the shepherd perfectly. But notice in the flow of these verses, the shepherd is leading David the entire way. In fact, David's reference to a rod and a staff, which we'll examine in a minute, show that the shepherd is leading him through this valley. We can also notice that David is walking through the valley and not in the valley. I think in his commentary, Albert Barnes sums this up better than I could. He says, the meaning of this and the connection in which it occurs is this. God will lead and guide me in the paths of righteousness. Even though that path lies through the darkest and most gloomy veil, though deep and dismal shades, in regions where there is no light, as if death had cast its dark and baleful shadow there, it is still a right path. It is a path of safety, and it will conduct me to bright regions beyond. There are times, church, that God is guiding us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not because of our sin. It's not because we're not following him. It's because that is the perfect, good, faithful path that God wants us to go down. So as you pray to strengthen your faith, pray with an understanding of God's faithful guidance. Maybe like this. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my guiding light. He is leading me through all of life's paths for his glory. So I know, Father, I know that you are faithful to guide me for your name's sake. 
and to take me to exactly the places that are good for me. So God, refresh and revive my soul and lead me to righteousness in all that I do. And then as we acknowledge the ways that God is leading us and we acknowledge his purposes inside of this, the next thing we see is that we should pray with an understanding of God's constant presence. Pick back up in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now we've already noticed that David understands that God has not left him in the valley, but rather he is actually leading him through it. He is ever present with him, guiding him along the way. And so what he does is he looks up with spiritual eyes and he sees the shepherd's rod and the staff and they comfort him. They bring peace to his heart. Now there are some debates as to whether the rod and the staff are two instruments or one. I'm personally persuaded they're two different things. I think this, the rod is a stick that was worn along the belt usually to beat off attacking animals. And the staff is more like a walking stick with a hook on top, which is designed to keep the sheep from falling off the cliffs as they went along. But regardless of whether they're two or one, the main point is that David is comforted because he sees those. And he's comforted in such a way that he will not fear any evil that may befall him. He wasn't afraid of the enemy's attacks and he wasn't afraid of the rugged terrain. He wasn't afraid of the temptations and he wasn't afraid of the trials. And this is all because ultimately he knew that God was with him, guiding him through the valley. This reminded me this past week of the promise of Christ's constant presence as we go and make disciples of the nations. Hear these comforting words from Matthew 28, 20. The one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth says to you, church, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The God of Moses, the God of Jacob, the God of David is the one that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So as you pray to strengthen your faith, especially in trials and tribulations, pray with an understanding of God's constant presence. Maybe along these lines. Though I am in this valley of despair, I will not be afraid because I know you have promised to never leave me. God, I know that you are with me in this, so remind me of your rod and your staff. Comfort me with your authority and your power and teach me to know that you will be with me to the end of the age. It's a beautiful prayer to make. And your faith rises up in your heart as you say these words. Okay, so we've seen that we should pray with an understanding of God's guidance and presence. But there's more to understand as we pray. 
We should pray with an understanding of God's abundant provision. Look at verse 5 and pay attention to the shift in imagery that happens for David. He writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verses 1 through 4 pictured God as a shepherd, leading and guiding his sheep through the valley and beside still waters and in green pastures. And then he shifts here to God as the host of a banquet. The term for table represents a feast. And the anointing is probably a practice of welcoming an honored guest into your home. And the abundance gets even more clear when we see that David says his cup is overflowing. He has plenty of drink. It's just spilling over. How much of us would like that at times in life? I love it because where verse 1 speaks of not having any want, verse 5 speaks of this lavished provision that is just being poured out upon David. He is the guest of honor at the feast of a king. And did you see that this table for David has been prepared in the presence of his enemies? The enemies aren't out of the picture. They are looking on while David receives the abundance of God's goodness towards him. I just pictured the like final in-game battle of Avengers where like Thanos and all of his army is sitting around and then there's just this feast that all of the Avengers on are on and they're just looking we're ready to fight, but they can't because they're just enjoying this feast. I know I lost like 50% of the room with that illustration, but um, I had to do something. So his enemies are there and God's just pouring it out, just pouring it out, just pouring it out. And his enemies are looking on and just going, look at that. Look at that feast. Oh, I wish I could have that. It's even been suggested by one scholar that this picture may be a picture of the culmination of a covenant. Could it be that David had made his way through the valley and he'd come back to the house of the Lord? I know one thing's for certain. No one's going to be thinking of anything in the darkest of valleys when they're dining at this table. What a day. And church, the beautiful thing is this is a present reality for us at times here. God and his goodness gives us times where we experience an abundance of his provision. But more than that, this is a certain reality that awaits us in the future that is beyond anything we can ever think and imagine. God abundantly provides for his children. Do you see how that strengthens our faith when we understand that? So as you pray for your faith to be strengthened, pray with an understanding of God's abundant provision, maybe along these lines. Oh, Father, you have richly provided me at times with all things that are good. I have tasted and I have seen your goodness, your joy, your peace, your comfort at various times in life. And I know that even now, while enemies surround me, you have a feast prepared before me. Help me, God, to trust in your abundant provision. And finally, 
as we come to the end of this psalm. We learn that we should pray again in confidence in God's everlasting promises. As we read verse 6, just take note of David's confidence. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. I just love the way this verse starts out. Surely, surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? It's as, it's as good as done. But the reality of what this is saying gets even better when we recognize that follow may not be the correct term to use because when we think of something following, we think of it trailing behind us in some way. But that's not the sentiment that this word brings about. It might be better to translate this pursue as the Christian standard Bible does. Surely, goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. You see what David recognizes? He recognizes that God's goodness and his mercy are actively pursuing him all throughout his life. Do you know that, church? Do you know that God's goodness and mercy are consistently and constantly actively pursuing you? I just love the imagery that a man named H.A. Ironside used when he put it this way. He said, Goodness and mercy are the two sheepdogs that help keep the sheep where they belong. Constantly chasing, running, pursuing. And this is what brings David's confidence to its culmination, where he says at the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hmm. Now, while there may be reason to wonder whether David is talking about eternal glory or if he's just anticipating a return to the tabernacle, I think on this side of the cross, with our understanding of glory that awaits, we can faithfully take this to refer to a rest that is coming when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in all this, I want you to see that David is joyful in his confidence not because of the things that dwell in this house, but because of the one who dwells in this house. In Psalm 27, 4, David says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Just one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David's greatest joy is being fully in the presence of the Lord, gazing on his beauty forever. And church, this is the greatest promise to us and our happiest hope. I shared this with the home group leaders this past week because it's just sat on my heart and it won't let me go. Paul tells his disciple Titus in Titus 2.13 that we are waiting on, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We are waiting on the appearing of the glory of Jesus Christ that we can't even begin to imagine how it will satisfy our hearts. And that is our blessed hope. It's our happiest of happiest hopes. Happiness in the fullest sense of happiness is to see the glory of Christ, 
That's why we long to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because when we are there, we will gaze upon his beauty and our hearts will be delightened. And church, this is a promise to all who trust and hope in Christ. That that is your hope. So when you pray to strengthen your faith, pray with confidence in God's everlasting promises. And do so along these lines. I know that goodness and mercy are pursuing me in all of life. I know my God has set his affections upon me and promised to lavish me with kindness forever. So Father, help me now to trust in your promises. Help me to see the glory of Christ, to taste it a little bit now and to know that it will be my greatest joy and treasure for all of eternity. And help me to know that my hope in that will one day be realized. Pray with a confidence in God's everlasting promises. Psalm 23 not only helps us to learn how to pray to strengthen our faith, but it also helps us to understand what faith truly is. It teaches us that faith in Christ is more than some kind of simple belief that God will do good things for you in this life. It's more than believing that he will save you from sin, death, and hell. Faith is more than believing that God will heal you from sickness, provide you with a job, or keep you from any harm. Church, from this psalm, what we see is that faith is a deep and a lasting trust that God is with you, working through every season of your life. Faith is trusting that he is your shepherd, your king, and your treasure. You see, faith knows that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the only true God who created everything and sustains all of life. And it understands that this God stooped down to walk among us, in order to shepherd us and to lead us to his glory. It trusts in his word when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. What we see is that faith looks beyond what is unseen in the valleys and what is seen in the valleys and it looks to the unseen comfort of the rod and the staff of the shepherd. And it is assured of that future glory that lies ahead of them because of the faith that we have in the work that Jesus Christ did on our Roman cross over 2,000 years ago. You see, church, faith doesn't just believe that God will do good things, but it believes that everything that comes to those who believe in Christ is good. Because what everything is doing us, Romans 8, 20, 8 or 29 says, is conforming us into the image of Christ and moving us closer and closer to glory. What we see in Psalm 23 is that faith is a trust in God, whether you are lying in green pastures or whether you are spiritually exhausted, whether you are walking through the valley of despair or you are dining at the table of abundant provision. This is the kind of faith we need, church. And this is the kind of faith I'm encouraging you to be praying for 
and use Psalm 23 to do that in your heart. Please stand with me as I pray this over us. Our Father in heaven, we ask for more faith to show us that you are our shepherd, to show us that you are guiding us, to show us that you care for us, to show us that you are with us, to show us that you will always provide for us and to show us a glory that awaits us that we can't imagine. We ask you, Lord, delight us with your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.